If you have your Bible, open them up. We're ready for Nehemiah chapter 4. We're actually going to kind of pull out. We've been studying in the Gospel of Mark. So today's kind of a special message that I want to share with you guys about that, that our God will fight for us. And I need to set it up just a little bit in Nehemiah chapter 4 as we, we get ready for this. I want to kind of include in today's message a couple of the things that God's doing. I'll, I'll start with and, and I'm excited about. So um, I have some baby news and that's one of my announcements. And so um, we, we've had a, a busy two weeks. The baby was due, as I announced last time, was due uh, June 20th. And so we were waiting and waiting and everything was going and going and... Um, and, and it just wouldn't come. And so, but I have good news. July 1st at 10 a.m., baby girl was born. Nine pounds, one ounces. Uh, one ounces, one ounce. 21 and a half inches long. She's super long. And just as perfect and beautiful as can be. If you don't believe me, check this out. <laughs> yeah. And the next one. Yeah, Amen. So, um, so it was, it's been a really emotional week, you guys, and, um, hard to really keep you, bring you up to speed on everything that transpired over the last, um, two weeks. But, um, so the baby was born on Friday and, um, you know, it's, it's a lot of joy and a lot of pain on both sides of this whole thing. And, you know, we, we, we've been praying and really seeking God and Lydia and I have been on such an emotional roller coaster through the whole process and have shed a lot of tears and a lot of joy and, you know, a lot of not sure what's going to happen and how it's going to go down. And, you know, but the, the reality is we, we, we haven't asked God for anything through this whole process. You know, we weren't in the process. We weren't in the, the market to adopt. We, we feel like God, you know, our phone rang one day and we answered it. It's basically what we did. And then we began to pray when that happened. And we began to say, God, whatever your will is, we want to walk in that. And, and, and if it's your will, then, then you'll open or close doors along the way. And, and we got to a point where God's opened doors that we were walking through that, that looked like we would adopt this baby girl. And so, you know, it's hard not to get emotional. But we also knew through the whole process that, that it could change. It could, it could change at any moment. And it still can. And so trying not to be too emotionally invested in case, you know, it doesn't go through and God's will is something different. And, and that's hard, <laughs> you know. And so, but the good news is, um, Lydia is home with the baby, so um, she did take the baby home last night um, to to Hagerman. We were not allowed to bring the baby out of Idaho until all of the, the court stuff is done and the adoption is finalized. So Thursday, there's a hearing where um, either the adoption will get finalized or it won't. So we'll know more on Thursday. Um, until Thursday, we're not putting anything on social media or really making any major announcements or no pictures are going out or anything. We're just, but I, I had to tell you guys, so I had to show you a picture. But um, Thursday, if everything goes well and the, and the, in the courts on Thursday, the, the adoption is finalized, then I'll celebrate and we'll blow Facebook up with pictures and, and celebrating and everything else. And so, um, uh, again, Lydia did get to go home with the baby last night. She's in Hagerman at her dad's house there in Hagerman, um, Idaho. Oh, there it is. Lydia said, I never looked so good leaving the hospital with one of my babies. <laughs> yeah, so no pressure, ladies, you know. On leaving the hospital, but um, anyways, that was her yesterday leaving the hospital. So, so we just, you know, we we felt you guys, so many people and so many of you guys prayed for us and been standing with us through this whole process, and so um, we really felt that, and God really blessed, and it was like really rocky for a time, and then all of a sudden something just happened yesterday, um, about three o'clock, and the whole thing just turned for the better, and just 
started happening. The, and everything went really smooth the last. And all of a sudden, by 6 o'clock last night, Lydia's leaving the hospital with a baby. And so, um, so anyways, good news. Nine pounds, one ounces. I told you guys that, huh? Gabrielle Nicole. Gabrielle Nicole. And she's beautiful. So keep that in prayer. We'll, make, we'll, we'll know more on Thursday. And we will uh, we'll announce on Thursday uh, how the court, court date went. Amen? All right, that's the first one. So the second one we'll get to in a minute. You guys have your Bibles open, Nehemiah chapter 4. If you need a Bible, if you want to borrow a Bible, we'd like for you to have a Bible that you can look at, that you can read, that you can have on your lap. You can do it on your phone, however you like it. But there's some Bibles in the back. Toby will bring you one if you need a Bible. And also, if you are new here, we want to welcome you. And I want to tell you that um, we have some purple... Um, uh, cards that are in the back that are connection cards. And so if you want to get connected and you want to find out more about our church, you can fill that out. There's a box there you can check that I'll give you a call if you'd like a call. And so you can drop that in the offering. And then the other thing, the easiest way to follow what we're doing right now is is to like us on Facebook. Most of our stuff goes out there. We have a Facebook and a webpage, TooelaSprings.org. You can can check us out there. And then, by the way, if you have a pen or a pencil out, I want to give you the address to my house in case you decide you want to come party with us tomorrow night. You need to know how to get there. So you ready? You writing it down? 659 West. 659 West. What's the rest, Nate? Well, you're in junior high and you know your own address. That's See what a dad I am? 659 West, 770 North. Um, but right there, if you head west on 1,000 North, like you're coming from Starbucks and going towards, Grants, towards like you're going to go to Grantsville, you go down 1,000 North, you go under that train bridge, there's a little soccer park on the left-hand side. If you make a right, you're going into Overlake proper. That little soccer park, you make a left where that soccer park is, and we're back in that neighborhood, last street on the right, 659 West, 770 North, 6 o'clock Monday night. <laughs> what is it, Nate? You don't know? You don't want to tell him? All right. I won't tell you to lie in church. So, um, all right. Nehemiah chapter four. So basically in a nutshell, I'm going to try to do this quickly. We've kind of hit on a couple of these, um, old Testament stories of stepping out in faith. And the reason why we focused on these, these stories in the old Testament of stepping out in faith um, is because we, we're in a place as a church where God's calling us to step out in what is a big step of faith. And we've kind of, we did a, we did a message, a sermon series um, a couple months ago, and it was kind of called Take Your Temperature. And we wanted to take the temperature of our church and just see where we were as a church. If we're willing to step out, we're ready to step out. Um, how do you guys feel about what God's doing and, and, and that this is the opportunity and, and are we ready to step out? Now, the, the reality is, regardless of what temperature came back, we're still going to step out in faith, whether you're with us or not. And we, we, we highlighted that through it, and we pray and hope that, that, that we can all get excited and get on board for some of these big steps of faith. And Nehemiah chapter 4, we, we've kind of gone through the basics of it in that series, but, but didn't go through it really verse by verse. I was hoping to get to that today, and I'm still kind of going to need to move a little fast to get through the, the, the chapter, which probably won't happen, but we're going to try but again, in the idea of, of, you know, stepping out in faith and God calls big, amazing things for people to do and they have to step out. And then, and then if they step out, then God shows up and does something they can't do. We looked at David and Goliath. And one of the things about the David and Goliath story that, that, that always breaks my heart in the story is David is this young boy and he comes to, to where the, the, the army of, of the Israelites are. And there's this giant. And no doubt formidable and no doubt scary. 
almost 10 feet tall giant of a man whose spear is the size of a weaver's beam. And, and David gets there and he says, I'll fight him. But the reality is there was real soldiers fighting men who were men of valor that were in the Israeli, in the Jewish army that, that wouldn't go out and fight because they were scared. And so can you imagine if that's you and you're proven in battle? And no doubt Israel had plenty of people that were there that day that were proven in battle. And those brave men stood aside while a 17-year-old boy in a t-shirt and a bag of rocks went out to fight Goliath. And David stepped out in faith. And David, and then God showed up and the Holy Spirit led one stone to the center of Goliath's head. And eventually off came his, his head. And, and as with the enemies of God, off comes their head. And, and, and then we've seen Gideon and, and Gideon going down with 300 and fighting this amazing army. And we looked at Jonathan and his armor bearer. And, and Jonathan, these two guys, they go down and, and, and they say, hey, let's, ta- let's attack this army. And maybe God will deliver the entire Philistine army into our hands. 6,000 chariots, 30,000 horsemen. The foot soldiers, you couldn't n- n- number them. They were so many. And Jonathan and his armor bearer look at that and they think, hey, let's go fight them all. That's what you guys think when you see an army that size, huh? When you're facing something in your life that's as formidable as, as what 6,000 chariots and 30,000 horses and foot soldiers you can't see, like, hey, let's go charge that problem. Let's go charge that giant. But Jonathan and his armor bearer, in an amazing act of faith, stepped out. And, and so then th- this last section here is, is Nehemiah in another one of those tales of the Old Testament. Another one of those stories where um, they go. And I want to set it up for you really briefly. We have um, two scriptures in the New Testament. The first one is in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. So it says in the New Testament, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let me ask you a question. Did David wrestle against flesh and blood? Was Goliath a, a, a spirit or was he flesh and blood? He was flesh and blood. When Jonathan and his armor bearer charged the Philistine army, were they fighting flesh and blood or were they fighting spirits? Flesh and blood. The answer is flesh and blood in case you don't know. I'll help you out. When Nehemiah in our story is going to go back and and they have a real enemy, Sanballat, and these guys, are they flesh and blood or are they spiritual enemies? They're flesh and blood. So, So those things, that changes in the New Testament, right? And God says now on this side of the cross, not that we don't have maybe some flesh and blood issues and enemies that we deal with as we go through life, but the real enemy is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual enemy that we face on this side of the cross. You are going to have opportunities to face a Goliath in your life. And God will show up and fight for you. But, it, but it's not the same as it was for, for King David, who literally had to fight. It, it's a spiritual enemy that we face. Here in Tooele, we have a spiritual battle that we're going to fight. And I'll tell you what, if we step out in faith as a church and you say, hey, I'm with it, let's do it. Let's go front lines and let's reach this community for Jesus Christ. Let's reach lost people in this community with the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to serve and and be a part of what God wants to do. You're going to face spiritual battles. You're going to face and we're going to see in this chapter, line by line, as we go through it, the the physical battles that Nehemiah faced are no different than what you're going to face today. They're no different than the spiritual battles that we're going to fight as a church as we step out in faith. 
And so Jesus said, that next scripture I want to share with you guys out of the New Testament before we get to it. You guys know the story. I share it often. Jesus, after he was resurrected, he appeared to many people along the way in, in the last couple chapters of each gospel as it's recorded for us that Jesus appeared to people um, in his resurrected body. Well, one of my favorite times and stories is, is Jesus meets these two guys on the road. And they're, they're sad and they're, they're walking and Jesus appeared and he says, hey, what's going on? Why are you guys downcast? And they go, what's wrong with you, man? Where have you been? Do you not know what's been going on in Jerusalem? Have you had your head in a, in a, in a hole like an ostrich? Where have you been? And then Jesus reveals himself. And it says, beginning in Moses, he took them to the Old Testament, starting at Moses, and he began to teach them all things concerning himself. Man, we would love to have that sermon, right? It, have that one recorded and, and see every place in the Old Testament where Jesus taught these guys. Hey, look, this, this story right here, the one about Abraham taking Isaac up on the mountain, that's about me. And, and as he goes through the Old Testament and he shares all the different stories that are a picture of him. Just like that, there's also a picture in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit. And we get it here in these, in these three what we call post-exilic books, which is just a, a fancy way of saying after the exile. The, the, the nation of Israel was in Babylon captivity for 70 years. They went into captivity. Why? Because they owed the Lord 70 years. And they didn't let the land rest for 490 years. And they ignored 490 years of Sabbath. And so God says, you owe me 70 years. And they were led into captivity, into Babylon. That's how Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego in the book of Daniel, that's how they ended up in, in Babylon, where they eventually found themselves in the lion's den and, and um, in the fiery furnace. At the end of that 70 years, it was time to come home. It was time to go back. And the 70 years was fulfilled. And, and Israel began to make their first what we call Aliyah, or return to the Holy Land, or return to Jerusalem. It's a term used today, widely today, for all the Jews around the world since 1948 who have began to make Aliyah. Everybody say Aliyah. This is this return to Israel. I watched President Benjamin Netanyahu addressing a huge group of Jewish students that were Americans. And, and he was giving them an invitation to make Aliyah, to come home to the land. I don't remember exactly. I think it was somewhere in 2013, 14. But for the first time, there were more Jews in Israel than there were in New York. And, and as a result of this aliyah of people coming home, the nation of Israel now had a bigger population than, than that was there, than, than was outside of, of Jerusalem or Israel. And so this here is the first aliyah. It's the, and it, it happened in waves. And we think of Nehemiah where we are rebuilding the wall. But, but we have to remember that they actually left in waves. And it can get confusing as you kind of keep it in your mind. Because you think, well, Zerubbabel, he went back and began to build. And Ezra went back. And so in these three books, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, we, we find, as we find Jesus through the stories, we find this little kind of pull out. And it's about the Holy Spirit. And this is the Holy Spirit being revealed to you and I in the Old Testament. Ezra means helper. Nehemiah means comforter. Anywhere, can you think of anything there, anyone that Jesus called a helper or a comforter? The Holy Spirit in, 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 right in the Gospel of John. And, and so we see this work of the Holy Spirit. And as you go through, and, and obviously we're not going to do it today, but in, in Ezra, who's the helper, you, you see this work of the Holy Spirit, of this beginning aliyah, this beginning of coming home. So for each one of you, and for each one of me, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you've had this experience of, of asking Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. For me, 
Maybe you know the time, the date, when exactly when it happened. I was March 1994, alone in my bedroom. I became born again. I asked Jesus Christ into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. And, and, then, and then after I'm born again, then I go through this period of, of growing in Jesus. Uh, and, and it's not a salvation issue anymore. It's, it's, a, it's a relationship issue. It's a, it's, it's a part of my, my life of decision-making. And I had a ton of bondage in my life and in my, my heart at, at that time in March of 94. And I'm definitely not the same person that I was in March of 1994. And, and there's a process of growing where you and I all live of, of the Holy Spirit doing an amazing work in our life. And Nehemiah is, is that second part. It's not the part of being born again. It's that second part of the Holy Spirit molding and shaping you and helping you. And, and, and you know, you're made in three parts, mind, body, and soul. And it's the part of your soul that controls your, your intellect and your, your decision-making and your tendencies and your um, addictions and, and, you know, those, that part of life. When I, when I got saved in March of 1994, without going into it, I was in a ton of bondage. My life was a mess, 20 years old, and, and completely lost and, and completely on a highway to hell. That night that I got saved in March of 94, I know that God delivered me from all that bondage that I was in, and I could have walked in that victory immediately. But unfortunately, I, it was a process, and I didn't, I didn't walk in that victory that night. But over the next six months, I went through this period of... Um, and I wanted to grow. And I, I tell you the truth, my heart and God knew and God blessed the heart. But my heart was crying out and saying, God, I want to change. I want to be different. I don't want to be that person. I can remember having experiences as a young person that kind of molded at least this want to. I can remember being a, a young, young, maybe 13 years old. And I, I found my my brother addicted, uh, overdosed on heroin, trying to commit suicide. And we, we knew what was going on and we began to look for him. And I found him and we called the ambulance. And I, I can remember that those kind of events in my life telling me, I don't want to become that person. I want to be different. But without Christ in my life and without Jesus and no power to change, I was becoming that person. And in March of 94, God set me free and I became born again. And I entered this process of, of trying to, and, and again, no, no, no history, no experience, no help in anybody in my immediate family and friends. But I, I, I went to a church, and it happened to be a Calvary Chapel church by the grace of God or the luck of God or whatever have you. And I was at Calvary Chapel South Bay with Pastor Steve Mays. And I began a process. And then shortly after that, I, 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 I moved to Hemet to live with a family that, that was helping me. And they happened to attend a Calvary Chapel in Hemet. And so I was at, still in Calvary Chapel. And then I left there and went to a Calvary Chapel Bible college. And, but during that period, I, the, the, God, the Holy Spirit was changing me. But I had to fight, and I had to pray, and I had to seek God. And I can remember there was times where I was, I was sinning, and I was struggling, and I was doing some of the sins that God had delivered me from during the week. And I'd be in church on Sunday with my hands raised, and, and yet my heart was crying out and saying, God, I want to change. I want to be different. And then I would struggle, and, and then I would cry out, and I was feeling like a hypocrite. And, and yet the whole time, I, my heart was in the right place, and I was saying, God, I want victory. And I can remember times I would pray and I would just struggle and I would so not want to be that person. And I would so want and ask God to deliver me from those addictions. And, and there would be prayer times where I would just shake and I would say, God, please, God, change me, help me. And I would just cry with everything I had. God, change me, help me, do something, God. And then, the, you know, and it was a fight. It was a spiritual battle that I was going through where Satan wasn't going to let go of my soul. And, and guess what? 
20 years later, Satan hasn't even slowed down. He hasn't left. If you think, oh, this is going to get good. He's going to battle. He's going to fight. Satan's going to leave him alone. He's going to have victory. Satan goes away. Everything's good. Sorry, not that story. Not the truth. Satan never goes away. The, the battles just change. But my battles over addiction and, and lust and some of those things that I was in bondage to, God delivered me from those things. And, 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 and the, the battle got better. And I got to a point where I started to get victory. And I did reach a point in my life where I received what I call the baptism, what the Bible calls the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was the power of the Holy Spirit to go through me and give me um, the power to be a witness and, and bear fruit for God. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 1 to the apostles and to the disciples, he breathed on them and he said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. But then in Acts chapter 2, 50 days later at Pentecost, they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you might say, well, did Jesus blow it? Well, Jesus breathed on him and the wind came and, they, and it missed them? No. When Jesus breathed on him, I, I, I mean, let me tell you something. If Jesus looks at you and he breathes on you and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, guess what's going to happen? You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. And so they received the Holy Spirit, and that was their born-again experience. That was the, the second work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had already come alongside them, and now the Holy Spirit was in them. And then in Acts chapter 2, God sent the Holy Spirit, and Peter preached, and 3,000 people got saved as the baptism of the Holy Spirit went, went out of them to be a power to, to make them witnesses. But, but we're, we're on the second part, the, 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 pe- the, the part where um, we're dealing with our, our, our soul our decision-making, our struggle, our relationship. And in this, the Holy Spirit works, and, and we get that picture. But we better get, we better get to verse 1 before we never get there. One more thing I want to say before we get to verse 1. Just kidding. But one more thing. I want to encourage you guys this morning that this verse is about Aliyah. It's about coming home. It's about coming home to Jesus. And wherever you are, wherever you've been, I'm telling you, from God's Holy Spirit, from the Word of God, God is calling you and telling you this morning, come home. I love you. Come home. Make Aliyah. Come back to me. I'll fix it. I'll make it better. I love you. I care for you. It's not too late. You're not too bad. The problem's not too big. Come home. Make Aliyah. And that's, that's what they were doing. So Ezra, um, Zerubbabel was the first one who left. And Zerubbabel, he left and he began to rebuild the temple itself. When Zerubbabel's project was, was getting to an end, God sent Ezra, whose name means helper. And when Ezra returned in the Aliyah and the post-exilic period after the 70-year Babylonian captivity, Ezra got there and Ezra's job was to rebuild the, the worship. And now they would have church services. But what do you do in a church service? We haven't had a church service in the temple in over 70 years and, and we need to reinstitute the worship and the praise of God. And so Ezra came back in the second wave, and he began to institute the worship of, of God's people. And now Nehemiah here in Nehemiah chapter 4, he comes back in the third wave. And Nehemiah's job specifically is to build the wall that protects the temple. And, and the, the, the spiritual battles that are going to be faced in your life, in my life, the wall that you have up represents the, your ability to protect and block those spiritual walls. And so it says, but so it happened when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that he was furious and very indignant and mocked the Jews. So Sanballat, you can make a note in your Bible there. Sanballat, he, he's a representation of evil or Satan in the story. He's, he's the one who's going to come against everything that Nehemiah is doing. 
And I want you to take special note as we go through this of every place where it's a tactic of Satan. And the the tactics that Sanballat used are no different than the tactics that Satan uses today. And the first one was that he mocked the Christians. Where it says Jews there, you can write Christians next to it or write your name next to it. Sanballat or Satan mocked the Christians. One of the biggest attacks of the enemy on your life and my faith is mockery. It's very easy and it's very, it's very powerful. Number one tool, college professors in the world to, to try to rob the faith from your young people as they go off to college is mockery. And, and in a room of people where they're a minority and the professor has got the mic and he's, he's a brilliant guy, and he begins to mock and say, do you really believe that God made a whale and put a guy in it and swam him 600 miles onto the shore and spit him out three days later? You really believe that stuff? You really believe God made an ark and put animals in it two by two you really believe that stuff and they mock 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 they try to mock the christianity right out of you and then when that doesn't work or or it's not happening everything continues to get ramped up and in verse two it says and he spoke before his brethren and the army of samaria and said what are these feeble jews doing now he's calling them feeble you know that's the the you know there's a saying that lions don't lose sleep over the thoughts or the, the the ideas of sheep an idea that who's the sheep in the story? It's Christians, because we call ourselves sheep. Because unfortunately, Jesus said, I send you out as sheep among wolves. Thanks, Jesus. So we, we, we're, we're the sheep. And, 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 and then they just belittle. And, and, oh, it's Christianity is a crutch. And, and more mockery and more belittling of your faith and who you are. And so they say, it goes on and says, what are these feeble Christians doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they compete? completed in a day will they revive the stones from heaps of rubble stones that are burned now tobiah the ammonite besides him said whatever they build even if a fox goes up on a wall he will break it break down their stones on the wall so the world looks at us let's let's take us for example twill springs and, and i'll tell you especially in our in our in our county the 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 first attack here of satan the mockery the belittling then, then the reality that the project that Nehemiah and his men had was too big for them. They weren't going to be able to do it, so they didn't take it seriously. Everything from that wall was so destroyed and burned, and the rubble and everything was in utter ruins and unusable. And so they looked at that stuff, and they said, what are these guys going to do? They're going to use those broken down materials, and man, if they get that stuff up, even if a fox ran across that wall, it would break it down and just mock them. And you know what? They're going to look at us the same way. We live in a community that's 99% non-evangelical Christian. So if you're a mathematician, that means there's 1% evangelical Christian in the county and th- that we live in. And, and that makes us a, a, a small percentage. And I'll tell you, since I've been here in Tooele, three and a half years, I've seen four, at least four, churches just like ours come and fold. And I'll tell you what Tooele County has seen over the last 20 years. Tons and tons of churches just like ours come and fold. And, and guess what? They don't pay us much mind. You know the building where you're sitting right now? That used to be a hair salon, and this used to be a dance studio. And then before that, guess what it was? It was a church. And that church came and went. New little church went in next door. Church crossed the street. Church in Stansbury, since I've been here, come and gone. I've seen churches merge, two Christian evangelical churches, to try to make it work where one goes away. And so right now, we're just in a place where the world looks at us, and they, or their community, our county, and maybe they're not taking us seriously. And then let's look what happens as the story goes on. So when, when this happened, in number four, Nehemiah's first response. 
Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity, nor let their sins be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So what is Nehemiah's first response in verse 4? He began to do what? He began to do what? Pray. Look at your neighbor and say, pray. He began to pray. He began to pray. I guarantee you, and I mean it, and I promise you, we, we have to be a people who prays. You have to be a person who seeks Jesus and prays. I would encourage you to incorporate in your life a, 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 an attitude and a lifestyle of prayer including times where you put on your calendar and you mark a little X on your calendar of times that you're going to go up on a mountaintop somewhere by yourself and spend an hour with the Lord. You're going to get away and and fast and pray uh, every once in a while. You're going to go in your prayer closet, in your bedroom, and close the door behind you and get on your knees every day for a few minutes and literally be a people who pray. You know, the reality is for us um, as Christian people, we, you know, prayer is our biggest weapon. And yet we, we, we hardly use it. And, and we say, yeah, I'm going to pray for you. And, and you might, you know, close your eyes and say something in your head. And, and, and prayer life becomes like you, you get in bed and you lay in bed at night and you put the covers up and you, you, oh, dear Jesus, you know, and you begin to pray as you're laying there. Next thing you know, it's the next morning and you wake up and, you know, you say a prayer here and there as you go through. And, and, and that's not really the life of, 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 of a prayer life. It, 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 you know, it doesn't work. So put some habits in your life. And this is not an area of, of condemnation or guilting you into something because guilt's not a, not a motivation that works for anybody, really. And, and so, but, but do in your life become a person and be a person of prayer. And if that means you, you don't lay on your pillow until your knees have touched the ground next to your bed, it's a good habit. So you have a rule. Then you put your knees on the ground and even if you're really tired, it's like, okay, now I can get to bed because I, I, I did it. It'll, it'll maybe create in your lifestyle some, some... And then the same rule when you get out of bed, you don't hit the bathroom or you don't do anything until your knees have touched the ground and you, your knees are the last thing that touch the carpet and the first thing that touch the carpet in the morning. You have a little habit of sometime throughout your day, you actually get away with the Lord and go in your prayer closet and pray. And Nehemiah prayed. Today actually is a day of national prayer from a ministry called fall, Call to Fall. We did it last year and... Um, I, I want to encourage you guys to do it, and we're going to do it now. What Call to Fall is, is churches all over our country and, and probably the world are, are, have asked all the churches to participate in this um, Call to Fall. So what it is is where we literally get on our knees here in church and we pray. And so I know some of us are able and some of us are not, so please, no pressure. And if you're not able or if you just don't want to, you don't have to. If you want to, we're gonna, let's just do it now. We're going to ask that you go ahead and, and kneel. Uh, in front of your chair, and I'm going to lead us in prayer. I want to pray for our um, for our country. I want to pray for our church, our county. And just know what's what's cool is that Christians all over our country and all over the world today are are on their knees right now as we speak, praying. I'm going to read a scripture. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, then I will heal their sins and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Dear Jesus, we come before you, Lord. We, we fall on our knees to pray. And even as Nehemiah prayed, Jesus, we, we lift up to you this nation. 
We pray for our government. We pray, Father, for this coming election. We pray, Father, that you would raise up morals and moral people and and Christian people that are willing to step out in in government and and protect our rights and our laws. And Lord, we we pray for the the laws of the land that are present. And Lord, we ask God that that there would be revival. And ultimately, none of those things, Jesus, are going to change our country. What's going to change our country is from the inside out, one soul at a time, as we humble ourselves and we turn to you, God, and we invite you back in this nation. Lord, we, we ask for your forgiveness. We, we repent, Lord, that as a nation, we have, we have systematically shoved you out of our country. And then, Lord, we complain when we face adversity and when we go through hard things. And yet, Lord, we've asked you to leave and you've, you've politely, um, you've left so many areas of school and, and things because you've not been welcomed. And God, we repent of that. And Lord, we ask that as Christian people, as we pray, Lord, as we use the number one tool that you've given us, Lord, that you would be invited back in our schools that you would be invited um, back in our colleges and that prayer and the Bible would be welcomed. And God, we ask for revival in this country. And Lord, we pray that it would start with our neighbors and our family members and ourselves by sharing the gospel. Lord, we have an opportunity as a church family to share the gospel in Tooele over the next couple of days. And we ask God that you would help us, that you would create for us divine appointments and that you would reach out in this community with the love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Verse number six, it says, so we built the wall and the and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. I want to tell you guys that ministry is work. You know, life is work and, and it is what we're about, you know, in, in, in stepping out that we're going to have to work. And these people had a mind to work and they worked and they worked and, and, and the wall is starting to take shape. And guess what happens as the wall starts to take shape? It's getting bigger. We already, we already know that, that God's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. I'm sorry, Satan is not leaving or stop attacking. God's not going anywhere either. That's, that's true too. But Satan doesn't leave at this point. But now things get a little more serious because the people on the outside, Sanballat and these guys, they're seeing Nehemiah and his men. The wall is starting to actually take shape. And now they're going, wait a minute, maybe these guys might actually be able to pull this off. And, and, and again, that's what the end. So that we have to ramp up our attacks. And now it happened in verse 7, when Sanballat and Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdites, heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and that gaps were being closed in the wall, that they became very angry. And so they got mad. And now they're going to act out of anger, just as Satan and the world is going to do. And so you guys ever hear that term, standing in the gap? So this is part of where that comes from, is that in the wall, they were, they were filling in the gaps. And they were standing in the gaps. And it's something that as Christian people, we, we do for each other. And you know what? There's a certain type of burden. In the New Testament, Jesus said that, that you, should, you should carry your own burden at one point. And in another place, he said, carry your, 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 your brother's burden. Carry somebody else's burden. So you're like, which is it? Carry my own burden or carry somebody else's? You know, that you should. But really, there's two types of burdens. And, and God does give each one of us a responsibility that's, that's, that we should step up and carry for ourselves. Certain type of burden. There's another type of burden that, that's so heavy that, that you can't, even if you wanted to carry yourself. And, and God says, in those situations, go to your brother and help him carry that burden. Stand in the gap for him pray for him, be together, be one. And that, that's what we really have to do as Christian people is, is get together and pray and, and stand in the gap for one another. And then it says in verse 8, and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. 
Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set watch against them day and night. Verse number nine, there's two words I want you to underline. Prayer and watch. Does that sound familiar? We set, we set a watch and we began to pray. So Nehemiah literally set a watch of people that would watch for the enemy coming and they began to pray. What did Jesus tell us to do in light of the days that we're living in? Watch and pray. Things don't change. You know, this stuff is the same. There's nothing new under the sun. And, and there they began to watch and pray. And that's, that's, again, that's what we have to do. We have to watch and pray. And it says, then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And so, you know, in life, you guys, in church, in these battles, there's rubbish. I think rubbish is like Great Bitten's way of saying trash. It's like the, the fancy way to say garbage, trash. And, and, and oftentimes in life, there's trash. There's garbage. There's rubbish. And, they, and they're here doing God's work, and there's just a ton of stuff in the way. You know, it's interesting because you think, well, God, God, this is God's temple. God wants him to repair it. Surely he's going to show up and help him. And, and yet it's difficult all the way through. Like, why didn't God just make it easy? Why didn't God just like put some slides and some rides on the wall that they could just wee and have fun every day and, you know, make it more like Disneyland than a bunch of broken down rocks and a bunch of trash and so much trash and rubbish in the way they can't even work. And you know what, you guys, life is, can be that way. Now, you have to balance that, right? We have to balance that with joy. Jesus is very concerned with your joy. And as Christian people, you have to be and have joy. And, and that's just the bottom line. You've got to find a way to have joy and smile through all of it. And know that God's going to win in the end and there's victory. And, and Jesus is very concerned with your joy. But the reality is, is that Satan's never going to stop attacking your life. And I wish I could tell you that once you've been doing it for 40 years, that, you know, you start to get better at it and victory comes and you have to, you know, you've gotten through all the spiritual battles. I've watched my, my, my pastor and my father-in-law who's been in ministry for 40 years and has faced some amazing spiritual battles. And now he's, he just had his 61st or second birthday, um, June 29th. He's been in ministry and a pastor for 40 years. And guess what he's going through today? More spiritual battles and more spiritual battles and more spiritual battles and more spiritual battles. I taught, I taught this message out of Nehemiah at Buell Calvary Chapel last Sunday. And I got to this point and I felt heavy. And I felt like, well, I'm, I'm kind of preaching like there's, there's no victory and there's just these battles all the time. And so then I went into this thing like encouraging, you know, and kind of apologizing for the fact that Satan never stops and that these spiritual battles just don't go away. And I got home and I said, you know, I shouldn't have apologized. What I should have done was I should have told him, Satan never goes away, so we have to keep fighting. We have to keep praying. We have to keep watching. That, that we are in a spiritual battle. And amazingly, God is going to give us joy through it all. God is going to find a way where we're going to fight. And there's going to be rubbish and there's going to be stones that don't work. But God's going to find a way to give us joy. And we have to find joy. We have to enjoy the ride all the way through. But we are going to face hardships. We are going to face spiritual battles. And then it goes on. And our adversaries said they will neither know nor see anything till we come to their midst and kill them and cause them to work to seize. In verse 12, so it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came, they told us 10 times from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So they had some Jews that were their allies, Nehemiah's buddies. And they were hanging out in places where they could hear Sanballat and, and these bad guys and these enemies making these threats. And so the, their own camp, 
the, the Jews came to Nehemiah and, and his own friends, and they said, man, ten times they told him, you guys are crazy. You're going to die. You should hear what they're saying they're going to do to you. Stop. Go home. And, and at one point they come and they say, Nehemiah, we've been living here. You just got back to, to Jerusalem. But, bro, we've been here for a while. And check it out. We've been hanging out back here, not bothering anybody. And they haven't bothered us. We haven't rebuilt the temple or done anything from God. And they leave us alone. Nehemiah, come on, just, just stop 10 times. Just come back and we'll move over to this area back here and they won't bother us. But man, if you keep this up, this is what they're going to do to you. And I'll tell you what, as we step out in faith, that's such an accurate picture of what's going to happen. You know, my second announcement, I, I, I'm not trying to, the second announcement that I've been excited to tell you guys is that we, we got the building over there. I don't know if we should be scared or excited. I don't know if you should clap or get out your checkbooks. (laughs) But it's definitely exciting news. And um, we've been working on on some some details to try to make it work. And I think we we now have something on the table that's going to work. And we will have enough. We'll have an opportunity to go over there. And, and there, you know, just like here with Nehemiah, there, there's going to be some of us. There's going to be some of you sitting in these chairs. And, you know, you're going to think we're crazy for what we want to do. And, you know, and, and the reality is sometimes those attacks and sometimes those discouragements come from within. And that's what happened that Nehemiah was dealing with. It's no different in church today. Just like I told you guys with David and Goliath, when, when, da- when, Goli- when David went out to fight Goliath, there was very capable, proven soldiers that stood there and watched that young boy go out and fight. When we read the story of, of, of um, different battles, it always records. And you go through those four stories that we've read recently. And it's interesting. It, you know, you know when, when Jonathan, his armor bearer, began to fight the Philistine army? It's recorded for us. It says, you know where the men were? The fighting soldiers, you know where they were? The men of God? It says they were hiding in the rocks because they were afraid. And so many times God's people, you people, me... We're, we're, we're afraid. But I'll tell you what, in every one of these stories, there's two types of people. There's the ones that were afraid hiding in the rocks. There were, there were the ones who were letting some boy go out and fight because they were too afraid to fight. And then there were the ones that went out and did it and stepped out and had victory. And, and, and there is going to be a fear factor in, in us going over there and stepping out in faith and trying to do something that we absolutely can't afford or, or, or can't do unless God just shows up and does a miracle. Like we're literally standing on the edge of the Red Sea and we're going to have to cross it. And the only way we're not going to die, the only way the Egyptian army is not going to come and just slaughter us all is if God shows up and parts the Red Sea. And we're facing some huge odds like that. You know, we that's a money pit over there. You know, we're easily put a, you know, over the next five years, a million and a half into that thing. They had Overstock.com looking at it and Overstock.com came in. And, and they couldn't make a deal because when Overstock came in and their people came in, they, they, they wanted the owners to make, which is very normal when, when, they, when you enter a deal like this, what's called TIs or tenant improvements. And when Overstock.com saw the, the, the condition of the building and they put together their bid, uh, $1.3 million Overstock wanted in tenant improvements. And the owner wouldn't agree and couldn't agree on terms to make those improvements. And so Overstock bailed. Then they had another big national conglomerate come in, same deal. They went in on the TIs. They couldn't agree on the tenant improvements, and they left. You know, the good thing for us is that we, we don't need $1.3 million worth of, worth of improvements before we move in. 
we're, we'll, we'll, we'll move in kind of just the way it is and rough at first. And, you know, we'll build it as we go. And, you know, it, it'll be good. I can remember when Joshua Springs was first building the sanctuary. And it was, there was no doors and there was just still beams and, you know, two by fours. And, you know, we had to wear hard hats to come to church because it was a construction site. But, you know, but it was still exciting. And, and God did it in unsurmountable odds. And, you know, I was telling Pastor Gerald and he was encouraging me and he was saying, look, he said, when we started that project, we didn't have the means to do it really. But we stepped out in faith and God started bringing people that weren't even there prior to that, that were a part of, of building and helping. And so um, we, we have amazing opportunity to, to step out. And, and just kind of some of the business um, details of it. We have, as a church, we started a building fund, and we had that red envelope fund, and we asked everybody to give $1,000 above and beyond as a start of your normal tithe. If you just take what you tithe and you change the memo to building fund, obviously that doesn't help the bottom line. It doesn't help us. Um, so to give above and beyond what you would have would have already given. And, and so we've built our church account up to uh, about 95000 so big improvement. I think we started like at 50000 and we still have our, all of our monthly expenses. The month of July is, we've been very um, frugal the last three months and have, as a church have hardly spent any money at all. We've just been trying to save the month of, of June and July because of this 4th of July outreach that we do and the events that we're going to do. There's just some natural expenses, a couple thousand dollars, you know, of expenses that, that, that go into this week and, and money well spent. But we're at about 95000 we have a, a retired pastor out of Pasadena, California, who's offered to loan us $100,000. So we're going to borrow the $100,000. It's going to give us $195,000 to start. We'll be on a lease for five years. So, so we'll go in, and then we'll, we'll have that initial $195,000 to continue with our operating budget and to begin to make uh, as many improvements as we can and build as we go. The good thing is, is that we won't have um, very many labor costs after a certain point, because you guys are all going to show up and do it. Dan, I'm, I'm looking at you and some of you others. And um, so we, we, we can do it with very little labor costs. We can do it with materials costs, a lot of these projects, and just make volunteer out of it. We have um, several uh, contractors and, and construction teams from out of the state, Idaho and California included, that have agreed to put together four or five guys that will come up for four or five days at a time. And if we provide the materials, these guys will rock and roll, and they will build, and they will do what needs to be done. And so the, the good news is on a lot of those improvements, we, we can do them without labor costs. We can do them for the cost of materials. The, the, the downside is as soon as we go over there and we, we, we reassign that building as assembly, it's going to bring it up to current codes. So the current codes say that we have to have fire sprinklers in order to make that an occupancy of assembly. So the, the fire sprinklers is a huge project. It's not something we can mom and pops. We have to contract it out. The current bid is between eighty and a hundred thousand. So immediately before we get any benefit, we, we have the first eighty to a hundred thousand that goes into putting sprinklers in the building. It was a grocery store, and as you guys know, them old grocery stores, they didn't have bathrooms, and so they had this little one-horse bathroom in the back of the way back wrong corner of the building, and the plumbing is back there. The plumbing's going to need to be brought to the front, and we need to, when you come in, and the first part is where the bathrooms need to be, so we're going to need to put in some big bathrooms up front that we're, we're thinking are going to be our 20-year solution for bathrooms if we end up staying in that building for 20 years, and so that's probably between, probably 40000 in, in in that project. So the first two projects, and then in order to meet code, we're going to have to put double doors in the front with those panic doors that'll push out. And so a couple thousand in that. So before we ever do anything, 
that has any benefit for us meeting as a church, we're going to be at least 150,000 in. And that doesn't include any kind of heating, cooling, um, the electrical work. We don't know what kind of condition it's going to be in. And the roof is leaking, and so we're going to have to put um, uh, some work into the roof. And so that's going to be probably a $10,000 problem. So you guys scared yet? Have I completely talked you out of it yet? No? Hopefully not. But I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. Here's the truth. We cannot afford it. We can't do it. We're, we're going to get buried unless God shows up and does a miracle. Unless God shows up and does something that we can't do, right? And that, that's what we're facing. We're facing something that is an amazing opportunity. And we're looking at Jonathan and his armor bearer. We're thinking, man, what did those guys have in their hearts that could look at, at, at 30,000 horsemen and soldiers that they couldn't number and say, hey, let's go and charge those guys. You know, Jesus said that, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I often remind people that a gate is not an offensive weapon. You don't get a shield and he says that the swords of hell are going to come and you're going to use a shield to protect yourself. He says, I'm going to build my church and a gate of hell is not going to prevail against it. A gate is a defensive weapon. The only way that a gate stops anybody is if we don't charge it and knock it over. And so, so Jonathan, his armor bearer, had to charge. We have to have that spirit and that heart to charge. Amen? You guys ever been to a Dodger game? Probably not. But anyways, somebody say charge for me. <laughs> that was weak. One more time. All right. So that's, that's our big announcements today. We'll, it will develop as it goes on and we'll keep you guys posted, you know, eyes wide open. This is something that God is going to have to do supernaturally, but that doesn't mean that he's not going to use you and me. Doesn't mean that, you know, if we move forward in this, I guarantee you, and I'll just warn you now, there's going to come a day where I'm going to stand here and I'm going to tell you, hey, we have a debt we, that we need to pay. We have some stuff that we need to raise, some fundraising, whatever, that there, there will faithfully come that day. And this 100000 that we're going to borrow, we're going to be able to pay it back uh, on monthly payments over the next five years. But it, it's a loan that at some point we're going to have to get off the books and we're going to have to jump on with both feet and, and, and start really trying to pay down. And that's going to require, you know, uh, us as, and me included as a, a church family to, to step up and, and do it. You know, the thing is God gives us an opportunity and I really feel like if God's calling us because we've never asked God for anything, we've asked God for his will. We said, God, we want your will and we want to step out. And when we started this whole process of saying, hey, you guys, let's, what we called it was cross over this vine because that street between us and the other building is vine. And so they they crossed over the Jordan to get into the promised land. We're going to cross over this vine to get to the other building. And, 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 you know, when we started this, we, we started with Moses and and God called Moses to really an amazing ministry. 40 years of just talk about a lot of rubbish and trash and, and hard times and, and, and impossible calls. You know, Moses is the guy who's standing on the edge of the Red Sea waiting for the Egyptian army to come and just slaughter him. And, and, And at one point, Moses is like fired up and God's called him and said, Hey, Moses, let's do this. Exodus 33. And and Moses says, okay, Lord, all right, I'll go. But he said, Lord, I'm not going unless you go with me. And and that's exactly where we started. So he said, okay, Lord, we'll cross over this vine, but Lord, we're, we're not going unless you go with us. And so then we spent time, we spent months, we spent um, lots of meetings and lots of prayer and lots of board and elder and, and men's ministry and men's discipleship and women's and, and church family stuff to say, hey, do we feel like, do we feel like as a family that God's calling us and we're going to go over? And to the man, 
to the man, everybody's felt good and said, yes, God's calling us. God's with us. We're going to go. We're going to cross over this vine. And so, so that's where we are. And, and, you know, and again, in order for all this to, to work, we're going to have to grow as a fellowship. We're going to have to grow as a church, you know, and, and that means you guys inviting and you guys bringing people and, and us as a family, um, stepping out. Amen. All right. We're out of time. I could keep talking about it. Lydia just texted me in the middle of church with a picture of Gabrielle. And it says, Gabrielle says, hello, daddy. (laughs) I'll text it to Brian. He'll put it up for you guys. How do I do that? There we go. All right. Real quickly, I'm going to jam through these last couple verses and then we're going to receive communion. Therefore, I position men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. So Nehemiah put the people according to their families, and the reality is that we are going to fight for our family, our family of God. And that's what Nehemiah did. When, when the soldiers had their, their wives and their kids next to them and had to build, that, that they were going to fight, and they were going to fight for their families. And it says in verse 14, And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, Do not... Be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. And fight for your brethren, your sons, your your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Underline in verse 14, the Lord, great and awesome. So just remember that, you guys. Again, the Lord is great and awesome. And if God's calling us, he's going to do it. and, And we just get to be a part of it. And God can and will do it. And it says in verse 15, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So all the plot of the enemy. What does it say in verse 15? What happened? Their plot did what? God had brought their plot. Somebody say to nothing. Hey, you know why Jesus tells us so many times, don't worry? Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And we, what do we do? We just keep worrying about everything. And he says 365 times, don't worry, don't worry. And here we have this little thing where there's all this drama. There's some legitimate drama going on. I mean, there's some legitimate giants and stuff. And then they get to this point and it's like all that stuff, nothing came out of it. No attacks, no war, no victory of the enemy, no defeats, just nothing. And they were preparing. They were on their knees praying. They were gathering the people together, almost like giving their last goodbyes. Like me, I was like, go kiss your kids. And, and keep them next to you just in case, you know, we go under and, and then nothing happens. They just, God shows up as he always does and there's victory. And in verse 15, and it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God has brought their plot to nothing. Verse 16, so it was from that time on that half my servants worked at construction while the other half held spears and shields and bows and were in war armor and the leaders were behind all the house of, of Judah. And those who built on the wall... And those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand they held a weapon. So um, that's where we get the term, Christian term, the sword and the trowel comes from right here. And so that's the idea of Christian living. In one hand, we have a trowel that's building the house of God. And in the other hand, we keep a sword to fight the enemy as we're doing it. And that's how life feels someday, right? Like some days you're like, 
you know, not only do I want to drop this trowel, I want to drop this sword and, and go to the beach for a couple of days, you know, and, and I need a break from this. And, and that, that's the reality of life, you guys. And it's not meant to be a bummer. Don't let it bum you out. That's not the intention. That's not God's will or God's heart. It's the reality of life that there's a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. And so that, that was the picture that God gives us out of Nehemiah. It's an amazing word picture of what our lives are like today. And in verse 18, it says, Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and expensive. Extensive. It's going to be expensive too. And we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whether you hear, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Everybody say this with me on three. Our God will fight for us on three. One, two, three. Our God will fight for us. You guys, that's, that's really the power of this, this Nehemiah chapter four. In all of this, our God will fight for us. And Nehemiah says, okay, now when you, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, let's all rally together and, and meet in this spot so that as the enemy comes, that means that the enemy's coming and their swords are drawn and we're going to fight. So when that happens, if we're all spread out along the sections of the wall that we're building, we're, we're, we're not going to be as strong. But let's come together and let's fight together. So when you hear the sound of the trumpet, come together. So I wish I had someone that could, could blow a trumpet right now to bring us together because that's where we are. God's blowing the trumpet. And, and if we come together and as we come together, God can do something that none of us are going to be able to do alone. And, and, and so we come and we, we fight together. And, and, and we also live in a day where we're, we're listening for another trumpet call, right? Where God's going to gather us all together and we're going to meet the Lord in the air in the clouds. And then the, just the victory in all this, you guys, is that God, God fights for us. Our God will fight for us. Write that on your fridges or scratch it in the side of your car or something. I mean, put a bumper sticker. Our God will fight for us. And in every one of the stories, go find one for me in the Old Testament, please. You won't. In every one of the stories, this is what God does. It's like God winds you up and gets you all excited and all nervous and all scared. And then he never lets you go. Then he shows up and like runs for you and fights for you and does what he's going to do. And and in all those cases, it's like, no, I didn't, I didn't, you know, did, did Abraham kill Isaac? Did God tell Abraham to kill Isaac? Yes, very much so. Yes. Get a sword or get a knife and stab it in his heart. And Abraham got right to here. God said, wait, I wonder if Isaac got a little cut on his chest when it hit him before Abraham could get stopped. God said, no, that's not the plan. I just want to see if you do it. I'm going to, I got this. There's a ram over there. Go kill that ram instead. Every story, every story. Hey, Nehemiah, I want you to go out and fight all these people. Ah, oh, you don't actually have to fight them. I just want to see if you'd show up. And, and in the story of Nehemiah, I guess, guess where the rest of the 29,000 people that, that started were. They were home, right? Because they were afraid. God said, whoever's afraid, tell them to go home. In, in, in Jonathan and his armor bearer, there was guys hiding in the cracks because they were afraid. And in every story, it's not going to be different in our story. It's going to be some that, you know, and, and so the, I guess the, the challenge is, the encouragement is, don't be the one hiding in the rock. Don't be the one who's afraid. God's going to do it, and God's going to do something amazing. Let's be the ones that are stepping out in faith. Amen? Our God will fight for us. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so, yeah. So somebody asked my wife why she's texting me in the middle of church. Lucky my phone was on vibrate. 
Just kidding. All right, take that down, please. Um, so let's um, well, let's receive a communion together as family believers. And, um, you know, communion is a family time. And it's, it's something that Jesus said, as often as you gather, do it in remembrance of me. And it's something that he instituted to mean and to be a time that we would come together and we would celebrate as a family. Yeah, we'll have the worship team come up um, and then chain the first two chairs on both sides. Let's move those two. And then the Apostle Paul, he also teaches us something about communion. And, and in communion, the, as it was instituted, Paul went and he started a church in Corinth. And the Corinthian church, they were, they were messing it up and they weren't doing it right. And so Paul shows up and he, he corrects the Corinthian church and he tells them that when you take communion, if you're doing it in an unworthy manner, is the reason why you have the sick among you. And he said, so let each person examine his own heart. And so, so those are kind of the two fundamentals for communion. In remembrance of Jesus first. And so this is a time, it's a personal time of, of, of thanking and remembering and being grateful for the price that Jesus paid on the cross for your sins. The second part is it's a time to self-examine. It's a time to pray and say, God, is there something in my life you can't use? Is there something in, in my life that's sin? Is there a sin of omission? Something that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm not doing? Is there a sin of commission? Am, am, am I committing sin by these certain areas of my life? And oftentimes God's already been speaking to you about something. And communion is a time where you can just be open and let God minister to you through that. And you could lay it down at his feet. And so how we're going to do it is we're going to play a song, two songs if it takes. We're going to ask each one to come up, take the bread and the cup back to your seat. And as the song plays, you spend a, mi a minute or two just seeking God, remembering him and also examining your own heart and praying. And we believe God can and will speak to you apart from anyone else other than God just speaking to you personally. When you're done receiving communion, there's a, a place in the seat back in front of you that you can put the empty cup. And, and, then you, and then you can begin to worship. You can, when you're done receiving communion, if you'd like to stand and worship, stand and worship. If you want to remain sitting, and we'll worship until the song ends, and I'll close in prayer, and we'll, we'll go about our way. Amen? And then I'm going to pray. So I want to pray for communion. And so then we'll have you guys, we'll invite you guys to come up after that. Father, we thank you so much for... This, this bread which represents your, your body broken for us. We thank you so much, God, for this, this cup which represents your blood that was shed for us. Jesus, in obedience to your word, we, we do this in remembrance of you. And Jesus, also in, um, in self-examining, Lord, we, we, we look at our own hearts. And Jesus, we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, just hold a mirror up to our lives. And as we look in it, that, Lord, if there's something that, that we see that, that, that you don't like or you don't want, that God, you'd help us to lay it down, give it up, to repent, to stop doing it, to start doing it. Whatever it is, God, and whatever your call and whatever you speak, that you would speak to our hearts as we need to hear. And we ask, Lord, that you would show up and minister in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.